Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Wow, that was kind of sad. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Prentice, and uh, again, I have the privilege to be uh, to pa- the pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. Uh, and I just want to say this. If you are new, uh, I would love uh, for you to A, fill out that Connect card, uh, and B, I would love uh, to meet you at the uh, end of service. Uh, oftentimes, it gets kind of busy, uh, and I don't get an opportunity to meet those uh, that are visiting either for the first time or fairly new. Uh, And so this is a great opportunity and great week uh, to join us as we continue uh, our series uh, in Isaiah uh, in Advent. So for those of you that have been coming week after week, we've been going through uh, the entire book of Romans. Uh, We took a little bit of a pause uh, in the middle of Romans in order to uh, talk about Advent. The word Advent means uh, uh, awaiting or uh, anticipation. Uh, And it's an opportunity for us to reflect on what Christmas is all about. And the irony of this reflection of Christmas is that as we reflect on Christmas, the reflection of Christmas gets us so busy that we forget about what Christmas is actually all about. Uh, I mean, think about the busyness of putting up lights and and Christmas shopping and making lists and cooking and and hosting and all these parties that oftentimes uh, the whole meaning of the celebration of Christmas through Advent gets missed because of that. And so may this time, may may these next few weeks be a time where we truly sit back and we take a breath and we reflect on Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And so this morning we talk about Isaiah chapter uh, 61, uh, and before we do that, uh, let me pray and we'll get started. God, thank you so much uh, for who you are and how you've created us to live and to be, and may that compel us to live differently to be the bringers of good news of your birth, life, death, and resurrection, and how that changes our own lives and changes the lives of others. And so God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for those that are here. We thank you for the many that are busy out and about doing doing things. And God, would you just put an edge of protection around them as well. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. So, so before we, we begin, I just want to start with asking uh, this question. It's a question that many of us uh, ha- have asked or, or have asked others, or, or maybe it's not even a question, but it's this, it's this statement that oftentimes that we live by. Uh, and the statement is this, you haven't lived life until you have, and you can probably fill in your own blank. And the purpose of this question is to maybe even humorously talk about the things that are so incredible and so amazing. And the question is, have you done this? Because if you haven't done this, then you really haven't truly lived life. And so for for many people that I've talked to, many would say, you haven't truly lived life, Prentice, until you have been skydiving. Anyone here been skydiving before? Wow, you guys are crazy. So, uh, and for those uh, that have said, or I've gone uh, uh, skydiving, Prince, you, you don't know what it feels like to just live life until you've 
jumped out of a plane hundreds of feet in the air and just land on the ground, or hopefully you land on the ground safely. You haven't lived, or some of us, we might say, you haven't truly lived until you have made X amount of money or until you have uh, accomplished this in your education or, or in your upper mobility, in your job. You haven't truly lived life until you've reached this point. Maybe you haven't lived life until perhaps you've gotten married, but sometimes that's not even enough. Maybe you haven't lived life until you have children. Sometimes that's not enough. You haven't truly lived life until you've experienced grandchildren. Or maybe you haven't actually experienced life uh, until you've read all the Harry Potter books. Some would say yes. Spoiler alert, he and Darth Vader, they find the ring. So, uh, Yeah, you can tell I've read all of them. Maybe I haven't truly lived life. Or maybe, uh, you know, in in my foodie circle, we say, you haven't lived life until you've eaten at, at least in Seattle, at this place called Canlis. You haven't lived life until you've eaten there. Or maybe some of us from out of town, we say, you haven't lived life until you've actually eaten a burger at In-N-Out. No? Okay. And the point is, we have all these different ideas of what it means to be fully alive, to live exactly the way that God has created, uh, created us to live. And, and this, in Isaiah chapter 61, that's what Isaiah is talking about. If you want to truly live the way that God has created you to live, this is what it looks like. So you have to understand the writing of Isaiah, it's a little complex because it's in different sections around the exile. Remember last week, I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but we talked about exile uh, where the two kingdoms of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel was called Israel, the southern kingdom was called Judah, and both were taken into exile at different points. Israel uh, was taken uh, into captivity, uh, into exile by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom, two centuries later, in the 6th century, uh, was taken in exile uh, by the Babylonians. Judah was taken under captivity under uh, under the Babylonian Empire. And and so, centuries after centuries, Israel uh, have been in captivity. They've been marginalized. They've been oppressed. They've been pulled out, yanked out of their own homes. And and worst of all, especially in Judah, uh, the, the temple was destroyed. By the Babylonians. And so you have to understand during this time, uh, this was what they were dealing with. And and when we get to Isaiah chapter 61, uh, things have changed a little bit uh, during the exile. Now, once uh, the powerhouse were the Babylonians, who again went into Judah, who dominated, uh, who enslaved, who taxed, uh, who really destroyed the culture in the world of Judah. And they took all the people, or all the working people and healthy people, out of Judah into Babylon to work and to build them uh, temples uh, and these icons and, and to work. And so now we get to chapter 61, where things are a little bit different, where now the Babylonians, they were uh, defeated by the Persian Empire. And the uniqueness of the Persian Empire is that uh, the king came in and said, okay, uh, though the Babylonians brought you Judeans, Judah, into exile, I'm allowing you to go back. 
I'm a lot, you're free. You don't have to be here. You can go back into your home. And so during that time, they all went back. Uh, many of them, most of them went back. But you can imagine that just because they were able to go back to their hometown doesn't mean that life was great. Right? As a matter of fact, it was pretty bad. They came back to rubbles. Again, with their temple destroyed, with their homes destroyed, living in poverty, many of them. I mean, I remember when I was in, maybe it was in seminary or so, it was when Hurricane Katrina happened. Right in the south, and, and, and we remember, many of us, remember the devastation that the hurricane caused. And I remember sometime after that, there were interviews and news reports about people coming back into New Orleans and, and, and kind of going back to their hometown. And many of them were saying, I'm not going to come back here. Or some of them were saying, oh man, look what we're coming back to. I mean, just because uh, these Israelites were able to go back to Judah uh, doesn't mean that life was great. As a matter of fact, It really wasn't. And yet, in Isaiah 61, in this context, uh, he says this, the spirit uh, of the Lord God is upon me. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Lord has anointed me. In the midst of this, he's saying to his people, uh, though all of this destruction has happened, though you were able to come back, all this destruction has happened, there's poverty, there's poor, there's all these things that seem to be so oppressive in our lives, yet in the midst of that, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And the one thing that we have to understand about just this one verse, it's packed uh, and it's this, the spirit, it's this Hebrew word uh, pronounced ruach. And this word ruach, which we would oftentimes translate as spirit, uh, is defined oftentimes, especially in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament with a different word, uh, wind or breath or, or, or life. And he says, the spirit, the wind, the breath, the life of the Lord is upon me. And what this is talking about and all throughout the Old Testament is that this word is found when it's talking about finding strength in the midst of weakness, finding life in the midst of death. That's ruach, that's spirit, that's life, that's wind. And most importantly, we find this in Genesis where the spirit, the ruach, is the thing that brings function out of chaos. So this word ruach is very significant, used in multiple and different ways in the Old Testament, but essentially it's about bringing something to life. It's about, it's about bringing healing and redemption, that when God is over you and when God is covering you, the spirit of God, the ruach of God is in you, and therefore now you can experience life even in the midst of the chaos even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of poverty and, 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 and pain and despair, even in the midst of that, because of the Ruah, because of the Spirit of God, we can still in the midst of that experience life. Because God, through the Ruah, brings function and purpose and meaning out of chaos. 
And we find the, the first example, and I would say the greatest example, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while the ruach, the wind, from God swept over the face of the waters. And then it talks about how God created a function out of chaos. And so what you have to understand about Genesis, the creation narrative, is that Genesis 1 and 2 is like a prologue. And here, I know I talk about this all the time, this is the, uh, another place where it's very different, where I use the NRSV, which I love, uh, but the NIV says something else. Uh, but what's unique to the NRSV, it says, in the beginning, when... God created. So here's a story about what God did when God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, so past tense, here's what I'm going to tell you about how the earth was. It was void and formless. It was filled with darkness, covered in deep. Then the wind, the ruach of God, created something out of all of that. And so when there's, uh, when there's function, that's when the ancient Jews believed that something was existing. It was a very different understanding of existence than us, the Western world, especially even the Greek world. But in the ancient Hebrew world, it's when the spirit of God, the Ruah, is on you. It gives you function. It gives you purpose. Therefore, it gives you existence. So let me give you an example. The example of this, of this table this is a table. Would you guys agree? Yes? Yes. I, okay, well, let me, let me just give you the answer. Yes, this is a, this is a table. Uh, what kind of table? You can call it a, a bar table, a bistro table, whatever you want. But it's a table. It functions. It's a table. Now I can put stuff on it. Therefore, it works. It exists. But now, let me do something for you. Let's say I unscrew the top and I just throw it over here. Let's say I, you know, you know, unscrew the middle and the bottom platform. I throw it over there. As a matter of fact, maybe I even melt the metal a little bit. And, and I don't know why I would do that, but let's just say that I do that. And there, the parts of this table is everywhere. It's scattered. It's chaotic. Then let me ask you a question. Does a table exist? I would answer and venture to say, no, a table, there's parts, there's, there's plastic, there's metal that exists here and there, but a table does not exist. It does not have function. And so when we talk about the wind, and especially in Genesis, there was chaos, there was, there was darkness, there was void, there, it was formless. And yet out of that, God created because the spirit, the ruach, was over the world. And so the idea of the Ruah is that even out of chaos and darkness, the Ruah gives you purpose. It gives you function. Just like we see in Genesis chapter 1. And then this motif continues with Adam and Eve where they receive breath, the breath of life. The wind, the breath of life. Meaning that within Adam and Eve, that it's this breath that God gives that actually gives them life. It's not just having these body parts, but it's actually the breath of life that was breathed into Adam's nostrils that gave him life from God. That's the Ruach. And it's the breath, the spirit, the wind 
that is within all of us. And it's that very wind, that life, that breath, that ruach that makes us human. It's what gives us strength. It's what gives us function and purpose. So in Isaiah chapter 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me. Isaiah is saying, the spirit, the ruach is in me. What he's actually saying is, I am human. I am fully alive because of the, of the wind, the ruach that God has put inside of me and has made out of me and into me. And that ruach is available and is in all of us, all of humanity. And then it says, because the Lord God has anointed me. Now, these, these are two different things. Uh, what Isaiah is saying is, Isaiah is saying it first is, God created me and I am human and I am fully alive because the Spirit of God is in me. We see that from the very beginning of time. And then there's this other statement saying, because God has created me, God has anointed me. It's a Hebrew word, masach, meaning to commission or to, or to give authority to. So what Isaiah is saying, I've been created Therefore, I've been commissioned to do what? To do what? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me, and here's here's what Isaiah has been commissioned to do. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To to comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who mourn in Zion. And to give them a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of faint spirit. And I love in verse 5 it says, Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vine. And so if we talk about what, what really makes you come alive, the first question is you haven't truly lived until you have this. And Isaiah answers that question. He says, do you want to know what it looks like to be human? Do you want to know what it means to be fully alive? Do you want to know what it looks like to have the breath, the ruah, the spirit, the life that is in every one of us? If you want to know, here's what it looks like. Go. And be bringers of good news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the brokenhearted, to those that feel like they're prisoners. If you want to know what it feels like to be fully alive and fully human, the irony is it's not about you, it's about the people around you. Because see, the good news is only good news if it includes everybody that possesses the Ruach of God. And spoiler alert, that's everybody, including the oppressed, including the brokenhearted, the captives, and the prisoners. And if good news isn't good news for them, it surely isn't good news for us. And the worst news is then we're not living out our full potential of how God created us to live. The good news is only good news if it's, if it's available for everybody and anybody. 
And unless we care to be the bringers of good news, the agents of good news, we have failed to live the way that God has created us to live. So we get back to this question. What does it mean to be fully alive? Well, Isaiah answers it. He says, think about these people. Do you serve? Do you sacrifice? Do you give your life for others? Do you think about the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed? Because if you don't, then you truly are not living the way that I have called you to live, is what God is saying. And God is, uh, through Isaiah, is very specific. In verse 1, right away, or uh, yeah, in verse 1, he says, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. And maybe if you're, bringing, if you're reading the NIV, it says the poor, but the NRSV uses the oppressed because the oppressed is, all encom- is not all-encompassing, but it's very specific to uh, people groups found in the Old Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, there's Levitical laws uh, that talk about what theologians call the quartet of the vulnerable, a.k.a. the oppressed, the very people uh, that Isaiah is talking about when he says, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. He's, very, he's being very specific in how he uses the word oppressed. Well, uh, the ancient readers will understand, well, who are the oppressed? Well, the oppressed is talking, it has been talked about all throughout the Old Testament and even the New Testament, and it's the quartet of vulnerable, the poor, is included in the oppressed. And and, and there's no uh, magical metaphor to this. The poor literally means the poor. And and there was a lot of poor around that time, especially when they just get back from exile, when people are literally homeless. Their homes, their neighborhoods, their community are destroyed. Many of them have no money. They have no job. They have no income. They are literally the poor. And, and And what Isaiah is saying is, you actually haven't lived life You haven't lived up to your full humanity. You haven't lived the way God has created you to live, to come fully alive until you care about the poor. Not only the poor, but the orphan. The widow. The foreigner. Again, the poor is not figurative. It actually means the people that lack resources. The orphans. Who are those in the midst of us that need family? Who were the people that were, th- that were without uh, parental units and tribes and families? Who, who are those people that are lonely? You haven't truly lived life. You haven't truly lived up to the way that God has created you to be until you actually care about the poor, until you actually care for the orphans, those that are without family, those that are without loved ones, those that uh, have no one to care for them. Unless you have stepped in and cared for them, you haven't lived life. The widow, again, in the uh, ancient times, especially widows without uh, married to a husband, uh, they were considered vulnerable. They were considered uh, as, oftentimes as objects uh, of, and they were unsafe. And so the question is, uh, unless you have taken care of those people that the, the society or, or the, the world would deem as unsafe or vulnerable or those that can be easily taken advantage of or used, unless you have taken care of them, 
<laughs> you have not lived life. And the foreigners, maybe some of you won't like this, but the actual definition of foreigner are the immigrants. And that's not a political statement. It, it, I'm speaking straight from the Bible. The Bible says that unless you have care for the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrants, you have not lived life the way God has called you to live. Therefore, you have not fully lived into your humanity. And so skydiving may be fun, and promotions may be fun, and eating delicious meals may be fun, and all these things may add excitement to your life. But let me be honest with you. You haven't truly lived until you have loved and served the oppressed, which includes the poor, the orphans, the widows, the immigrants. See, what Isaiah is saying is something very, very counterintuitive and countercultural. He says, he says, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. Strangers, again, I'll read this again. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners, immigrants, same word, shall be plowmen and vine dressers. And you shall be called priests and ministers of our God. I mean, you can look at these verses, uh, and, and what's happening is the Persian king allowed uh, the, the exiles from Israelite to go back to Judah and rebuild the temple. And remember, the, the temple was a holy place. It was where life happened. It wasn't just church, as we know it. This is where life happened. This is where they gave worship. This is where uh, they developed community and love and they gave to one another. I mean, the temple was a very sacred and holy and special place for the ancient Jews. And the Persian king says, go back and you can rebuild. And the unique part of this rebuilding of this holy place is that guess how that will be rebuilt? (laughs) It will be rebuilt with the immigrants. It'll be rebuilt with the oppressed, the poor, those that have experienced devastation. You guys will all work together in order to rebuild together this holy place, this holy temple. I mean, this was downright offensive. Strangers, it says, those uh, that are outcasted from community, cut off, isolated from the society, and foreigners will come together to rebuild this temple. And we call that the second temple, and and, uh, recently just initiated Hanukkah. Uh, Hanukkah, for those of you that don't know, is, is a time where they celebrate the rededication of the temple that was rebuilt. It's this holy, holy place, the center of life. And there's this beautiful, beautiful image where everybody, including the poor, the foreigner, the oppressed, the Jews, those that were once exiled, the poor, the rich, they come together and they build, rebuild the temple. 
Now this requires extremely, especially from the, from the elite, from the Jews, this required an extreme amount uh, of humility and a radical re-identification of what it means to belong to a community. And the re-identification is this. Everybody was on equal grounds. Everybody was on equal grounds. This was the image of justice. And that's why it's no accident in in verse 8. It says, for I, the Lord, love justice. Mishpat, the Hebrew word that takes care again of the oppressed. For I, the Lord, love justice. And you can see there's a movement that, uh, that, that can't be missed. There's two movements from hierarchy to, to equity. Again, everybody is now on equal grounds, equally possessing the ruach of God, serving and loving and sacrificing for one another because there's no longer hierarchy, but there's equity. The second movement is from comfort to action. Comfort to action. See, there's proclamations of hope that leads to actual actions. And I love, in my notes, it just says, parentheses, talk more about this. So I'm going to talk more about this. Oftentimes, and I'll try not, oftentimes the church is really good at one or the other. Uh, oftentimes the church is really good at the proclamation of hope, a.k.a. evangelism, or sharing the good news, or telling people about Christ. Uh, or sometimes a church is really good about action, uh, which we would call maybe you know, social justice, or, or just justice, or just works-based, or whatever it is. And they're oftentimes critical of one another. And what Isaiah is saying is the people of God, we need to be both. The answer is yes, yes, and yes. That on one end, we need to have this tension of we need to be a people that is the bringer of good news. That Jesus, especially during this time, was born to live, to teach, and then ultimately to die for us. And there's good news around that. So so we're called to bring good news, but it doesn't stop there. And sometimes it does, and oftentimes it does. But what I want to say is, especially for Bethany West Seattle, is that we want to hold both at the same time, that because we understand the love of Christ in our lives, that out of that compels us to live differently, to love differently, and to act. And I really hope you're on board with that. That yes, I do believe that we need to proclaim hope, but at the same time, yes, we need to be a people of action. And so the movement that we see in Isaiah 61 is this, God has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is the coming of Jesus. And so there's all this, I talk about proclamation and proclamation, then suddenly it goes to, then they will build together. Then they will plant. Then they will be vine dressers. Then they will repair. Then they will build There's a movement, not only from hierarchy to equity, but there's a movement from just comfort and proclamation to action. Are we a social justice church? Are we a church that evangelizes? The answer is yes. 
And that's why this is good news. Because the way that we are loved, the way that uh, we are created should compel us to love the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. And the question for you is, the good news that we possess, is that good news for others? It sounds like an elementary question, but the news that you believe about who Christ is, what the birth of Jesus means, yes, that is good news. But the question for me to you is, how is that good news? It's a real question. How is that good news? Is that good news for the people around you? Is that good news for the poor around you? Around me? Is that good news and is that lived out and played out uh, in tangible ways? For me, it's a question for me, and I ask you to ask yourself the same thing. Is it good news to the poor, the orphan, the widow, or the foreigners in your own life? And, and I'm so proud of even uh, our own church because I can, I can answer partially for all of you. The answer is yes, we, we do that. I mean, 41 gifts out of 53 t- off the tree taken in one, on one Sunday. You know, all collectively throughout Bethany, all six locations, uh, I'll have to double check the numbers, but I think last fiscal year we've given uh, over $80,000 to local and international outreach. For us, uh, specifically to Bethany in West Seattle, uh, we serve Highland Park Elementary. We, we, walk, we work alongside young life. We work alongside young lives, literally teen mothers, to love and to care and to support, and to the teens from young life. Many of them coming from broken families, and maybe we've experienced that ourselves. There's ways we've given to the homeless, youth at risk. Big push on racial reconciliation and loving the immigrants and the refugees. So I can answer partially for you. The answer is yes. We have lived into our humanity and our calling and our design by the spirit of God within us to love and to give and to be sacrificial to the people that God cares about. And may our hearts always be broken to those people. And oftentimes those people include ourselves. And what's fascinating is in Luke chapter 4, here's what Jesus says. He says, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, talking about Jesus, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and here's what Jesus reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Sound familiar? He has sent me to proclaim and release to the to, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll. I love this image. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus, on him. Then he began to say that to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
I can just imagine Jesus reads this. He recites Isaiah uh, of this prophecy of Isaiah, and he rolls it back up, and he says, this is actually talking about me. He rolls it up and drops the mic. Like, that's, that's what he did. I mean, I can just imagine him saying, boom, that's me. I have come to set the captives free, to care for the oppressed. This whole time, because Isaiah is a prophet who is an important prophet because he talks about the coming Messiah. And he's talking about Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I have come. Isaiah has, is correct. Isaiah has been fulfilled. Advent, the arrival of Christ. This becomes good news for everybody. And my question for you again is what you believe, what you proclaim, what you stand by, is it also good news? Is it also life-giving for all of humanity? For those that possess the Ruach? Because the sad part is sometimes we, we get to pick and choose who the good news is for. But guess what? This good news is for the oppressed. It's for those who you can't seem to forgive. It's for those who think differently than you. It's for those who voted differently than you. It's for those that have a different political position than you. It's for those who look differently than you. It's for those that, have, that speak different languages and eat different foods than you. It's for those that who have in the past have hurt you. The good news is for them. And it says that you and myself as followers of Christ, we are to be ministers of the good news. We are to be ministers and priests. The intervention between God and humanity to bring upon and not only proclaim the good news, but to live it out and to act upon it. This is what it means to be fully human. I'm going to invite the band back up in order for us to reflect. But I share this story with, with permission. I, I was at... Uh, David's father's uh, memorial yesterday. And I was listening to people that were, I, I never knew him, but I was listening to people speak of him. And it was uh, simply about how he always loved others. And, and before, his, before he died, the question that he reflected upon over and over with others, with his family, was, did I love well? Did I forgive? Did I give? Did I sacrifice? Did I love my wife? Did I love my children? Did I treat others well? It was so beautiful. And it was a reminder to me that at the end of the day it doesn't matter how old you are young, old, anything in between you haven't truly lived life until you have truly loved 
And so during this Advent, as we talk about this good news, the question for me and for all of us is, is this good news? Is this truly good news, not only to you, not only to those uh, that you like, but to everybody? And to truly live is to not only ask that question, but to do something about that and make sure that the answer is yes. And may we truly live like people that have been given the Ruach of God because we have by truly loving others particularly the people that God has called us to live and to love. The poor, the orphan, the widow. Who are these people in your life? But it begins with humility. Now we're not better than somebody. We're not, we're not better because we have more money or because we have a bigger house, because we have a nicer car, because we have clothes. That doesn't make us better. It begins with us understanding and truly believing that we're all on equal grounds in need of a Savior. And that Savior has come through the person of Jesus. And may that be good news to you, to those around us. And in addition, may we be bringers of that good news through our words and through our actions. And as tradition goes with Advent, we have candles. And we light a candle for each week. And this is the second week of Advent. Until we light two. The first week represents hope. The second week represents peace, shalom. And how perfect is that in our message? May we be the ministers, the priests, the conduits of peace, true shalom to those without. May the good news today and forevermore be good news for the oppressed as well. And as we, tie, as we go into this time of reflection, may we even look at this Advent candle and ask ourselves, who are the, these people that God is talking about? Because you haven't truly lived until you have truly loved. And I would add that you haven't truly lived until you've truly loved the people that God is brokenhearted over poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrants. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God of good news, not just a proclamation of hope, but a call to action. And may this Advent, even in the midst of our busyness, may we live in the way that we were created, literally created to live. Just to serve and to love. May we care about those that society deems as unimportant.
May we love and give to those that have been pushed out. May we think about those that many would never think about. Because when we do that is when we truly come alive. Bring people in our lives that we can truly love and care for in this way. May the good news be good news for everybody. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship. Thank you.